0: Hello everyone. How's everyone feeling about the temperature in this room? Should the heaters stay on or go off? Off. Okay, I'm getting the sense of off. I'm getting other people saying no. I am feel. I can feel that one really strongly right here. Um, John, do you know where the switches are behind the door there? Have a look. If you could turn them off, that'd be great. We'll keep each other warm by each other's fellowship. That's what we'll do. Hey, I'm really excited to get into the Psalms over the next three weeks with you. So please have Psalm 42 open in front of you and also your yellow colored sermon outline. We'll be looking at that as well. How about we pray? God, our Father, we thank you for inspiring all the words of Scripture. And we thank you for these wonderful words in the book of Psalms that they are words to you, but also words that you have inspired for us to understand you better and how to live for you. And we pray that you would help us to do that now. Amen. For those of you who know me well, which is most of you, you will know that I love swimming. My idea of heaven is basically swimming at the beach 24-7. It's the best. And I'm not really sure why I like it so much. Maybe it's that feeling of being immersed by water and being weightless. Uh, Maybe it's the refreshing cool on a hot summer's day. Maybe it's the sheer joy and thrill of riding a wave. I love swimming. And I remember a time when I was a little kid and I was swimming at the beach, as you do, and I looked out and I decided I could go deeper. So I decided to swim out to my older brother into deeper water. I thought my brother was really cool, and I thought that swimming out the back was the, what the cool kids did. So I thought, why don't I give it a go? So off I go towards deeper water, water, when all of a sudden, I can't touch the bottom. All of a sudden, the waves get too big for me and start crashing over my head. I couldn't keep my head above water. So I called out to my brother for help, and he kind of just laughed at me and said, What are you doing? And then swam away. <laughs> And i struggled back to shallow water and i made it i didn't die just so you know so i'm standing here now and uh as i was preparing for this talk i was reminded of that day of that experience because i think that's what this guy in this psalm feels like he feels like the waves are crashing over his head and he can't keep his head above water But before we get into Psalm 42 in detail, let's think about the book of Psalms for a moment. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at Psalms. And this week, on Wednesday and Thursday night, in our gospel teams, we started thinking about the book of Psalms, didn't we? What are the book of Psalms? What are they about? what did we see? We saw that for God's Old Testament people, Israel, the Psalms were words and poems sung to music, you can see there at the beginning of Psalm 42, it's for the choir director. It's a mascal, which is probably a certain kind of song. And it's of the sons of Korah, who were a family of priests who lived and served in the temple. So we can see the Psalms, they're songs. They're songs for the people of Israel to sing together when they gather Songs of teaching, songs of encouragement to each other, to remind each other of their God. And songs to help them express all kinds of different prayer to God because of who he is and what he's done. But to focus our time of looking at the Psalms tonight and over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the fact that the Psalms are honest to God. They're honest before God in the face of difficulty and the face of good things as well. They're honest through all the circumstances of life. In the Psalms, we see a picture of raw, even brutal honesty sometimes, as the writers kind of reflect out loud on who God is and the circumstances of life. John Calvin, a famous church reformer, called the Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Why did he say that? Well, have a look on your outline and listen to what he says. He says, For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. In the Psalms, every human emotion, every longing of our hearts is clearly and powerfully depicted. He's right, isn't he? Listen to the, listen to the sadness of Psalm 6. Says this, I am weary from my groaning. With my tears I dampen my pillow and drench my bed every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. Or listen to the anger of Psalm 139 Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Or listen to the joy of Psalm 92. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. Calvin is right, isn't he? The Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of our soul. He goes on and says this. Have a look there. The Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, Perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. It's old language, but he's saying the Psalms are a picture of raw and brutal honesty before God in every emotion and experience. Being real and honest to God about the joys of life and the sorrows of life. The Psalms show us joy, sadness, Anger, longing, they're all normal parts of human experience. And they show us that God wants us to share them with him. To share our inner thoughts and emotions. Like a father who wants to know what his son is thinking. What his daughter is doing. He wants to know. And that's why Calvin concludes by saying this. In a word, in short, whatever may may serve to encourage us, when we are about to pray to God, is taught us in this book, the book of Psalms, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, a raw, brutal picture of honesty to God. That's what we're going to think about for the next few weeks. We'll look at a psalm each week and we'll think about how the psalmist is honest before God and how he's honest in a particular emotion. But tonight we're looking at Psalm 42, which we just read, a psalm that's honest to God in sadness. Did you feel the sadness of this man as we read it before? Just scan your eyes over it again. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food. In verse 5, he says, I am depressed and in turmoil. In verse 9, he feels forgotten by God. Here is a man being honest in sadness. But why is he so sad? What situation is he facing that makes him so upset? Well have a have a look at the couple of verses that show us what he's going through. Verse two When can I come and appear before God? And have a look at verse four. I remember this he's looking back as I pour out my heart, how I walked past tense with many leading the festive procession procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. And verse 6, he says, I am deeply depressed, therefore I remember you. From where? From the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. What is the situation this man is facing? He's far away from home. He's far away from God. He's right up in the north above Israel, far, far away from God's house, which is down in the center of Israel. He's away from the temple. He can't come to where God's presence dwells. He can't come and offer sacrifices. He can't come and offer thanks and praise in the temple. Maybe this is King David speaking of a time when he was fleeing his enemies. Maybe it's about another Israelite who was captured by a foreign nation, and so that's why he's in this place. Whoever it is, and whoever is chasing or attacking him, we know it's difficult enough for him to be far away from home, far away from the temple, from the house of God. This is the situation he's facing. And so he begins to pour out his heart. He's honest in his sadness. We struggle to understand this a little bit because as Christians, we understand you can pray to God anywhere. You can praise him wherever. We don't go to a physical temple to worship God. Jesus is always with us. That's what he promised us. But for this guy in the Old Testament, being cut off from the temple, it means being cut off from God's presence, being unable to worship him fully. Think about it like this. If God has chosen one place on earth to dwell, wouldn't you want to be there? If the God and creator of the universe has chosen one nation to be his special people and one place in that nation out of all the world for his presence and glory to dwell, wouldn't you want to be there? How would it feel if you were chased or captured by enemies and forced to leave forced away from god's presence and his temple imagine how that would feel we don't have to imagine we can see him express his sadness so vividly look look at verse 1 as a deer longs for streams of water so i long for you god i thirst for god the living god you know that feeling of deep deep thirst We don't really know what thirsty is because we live in houses where water gushes from our taps and we can drink as much as we want. But you know that feeling, right? When you've been exercising or you've gone half a day without drinking any water and then you just guzzle down heaps and heaps of water until you feel sick in the stomach. I love that feeling. That's how this guy feels about God's temple. He grieves that he is distant from God and he longs to be restored back to his presence. But the picture gets sadder in verse 4. In verse 4, have a look at it. He looks back on the times when he would lead people in praise and worship of God, full of joy and thanks. He looks back on that and it only makes him feel worse about his current situation, how far away he is from that fond memory. But his situation is even worse than that. Not only is he far away from home in the temple, on top of all of that, he's taunted and mocked by his enemies. Have a look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? And verse 10, they say it again, my adversaries, my adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. While all day long they say to me, where is your God? His enemies turn to him and say, where's your God now? I don't see him anywhere. Just look at the situation you're in. Far away from home, far away from the temple of your God. How can he help you here? Does he even know where you are? They viciously mock him. Where is your God? How can he help you now? It reminds me of the taunts that sometimes we face as Christians from our world. If Jesus really is the Son of God, if he really did rise from the dead, then where is he? Why doesn't he show himself to me? Why doesn't he prove he's alive here and now? Where is your so-called God? And I think that in that situation, sometimes we can feel like the psalmist. We can long to be with our God. Like Paul in the book of Philippians, he would rather die and be with Jesus, which is better than being here. He longs to be where his God is. And I think that's the first challenge of this psalm. This man thirsts and longs for God. Do we thirst and long to be with God? Does it trouble us greatly that we are physically away from Jesus who is in heaven? Does it give us great joy that the Lord is with us spiritually by his Holy Spirit? Is our hope set on the day when we will see Jesus face to face and we will be with him in his presence? Well, that's the situation that the psalmist here is facing. And so he, in rawness and brutal honesty, expresses his sadness. Listen to some of the ways he describes his situation and how he feels. It's powerful imagery. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and billows have swept over me. He feels like he's at the bottom of the sea with waterfalls pounding on top of him, with waves crashing over him. That would be an awful feeling, wouldn't it? When you can't get your head above water, it's worse than the feeling that I had that day when I couldn't get out of the deep water. He feels like he's being thrashed around at the bottom of the sea, totally unable to come up for air. But notice how he acknowledges that God is in control. They're God's waterfalls. They're God's breakers and billows. He knows God is sovereign. God has him here for a purpose, even though he doesn't know what that purpose is. And so he tells God outright, God, this sucks. I don't understand why this is happening to me. He cries out to God, verse 9, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? We see this broken man removed from his homeland, removed from God's temple, taunted by his enemies, honestly pouring out his heart his sadness and distress before God. But not all of this psalm is sadness. There is a glimmer of hope. Did you see it? In verse 8, he is confident that even in his sadness, God's faithfulness will be with him. He will have a song of prayer to sing during the dark nights. He begins to express trust in God to save his life. We see it really clearly in verses 5 and 11. I've given it to you on your, in your outline in another translation. This is the refrain or the chorus of the song. He takes a moment and he talks to himself. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He stops and he questions his sadness. Why am I so sad? Do I need to be this sad? And then he psychs himself up. He tells himself, move from sadness to hope. He says in the second half of that verse, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist stops and thinks about God and his situation for a moment. He asks, is my sad situation Too much for God to do anything about. No. In fact, why am I so cast down and sad and in turmoil? My God is the God who saves. I put my hope in him because I believe he can save me. I believe he can bring me home so I can yet again praise him in his temple. Have you ever been walking somewhere and then all of a sudden you realize you're going in the wrong direction And you do that kind of weird dance and then change directions. Or have you ever moved house and then driven home from uni or work, pulled up in the driveway and realized, this is my old house. I've never done that. But I often drive on autopilot and miss turns. You can ask Sarah. Uh, I think that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's taking off the autopilot for a moment. He's saying, yes, I'm sad. Yes, my situation is awful. But I put my hope in the God who can save me. I am confident he will look after me. In his disoriented state, he stops and reorients his gaze back onto God and hopes and trusts in him. Even though he's sad, he says, I trust in God, your goodness, your will and your plan and your promise to look after your people. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's definitely something we can imitate. But the really cool thing about this psalm is that we can see this psalm in the experience of Jesus. Don't we see Jesus praying just like this psalm? Not only is our psalmist honest to God in sadness, Jesus, he too is honest to God in his sadness. You can hear Psalm 42 on his lips. Have a look. Matthew 26. I've put it on your outline and we read it earlier. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's arrested and crucified. Listen to his prayer. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to his disciples, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Then he fell face down and prayed, My father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, our amazing Lord, God in the flesh, he is honest to God, honest to his Father in sadness. He cries out to him, even through his suffering, and in light of the suffering he's about to face on the cross. He's about to drink the cup of God's wrath, And die for all our sin. He swallowed up in sorrow because just like the psalmist, he is about to be distant from God, forgotten and forsaken by him. He is about to be separated from his father as the punishment for our sin. And the end of his prayer, it's strikingly similar to the chorus of our psalm. Jesus says, not as I will, but as you will. Just like the psalmist, Jesus turns his prayer of sadness into an expression of trust in his Father's will and plan and promises. And so these two big things, there are two big things we can take away from the example of Psalm 42 and the example of Jesus. Number one, be honest to God in your sadness. Express your sadness and distress openly to him just as the psalmist and just as our Lord does. The psalmist and Jesus, they teach us to be honest to God, even in our deepest sadness. But Psalm 42 and Jesus, they teach us not just to leave it there. They don't just give us freedom to be honest to God about our emotions. They do that, but they also, number two, teach us to turn to God in hope and trust. Jesus and Psalm 42, they guide and direct our emotions to where God wants them to go. Hope and trust in God's will and plans and promises. It is good and right to be honest to God in sadness. It is good and right to express ourselves and our deep sadness to him. But it is also good and right for us to stop and express our trust in God. To wrestle with God in prayer, in sadness, but then to submit ourselves to his will, his plan, his promises. Just like the chorus of our psalm, let's finish with these beautiful words. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray, God, our Father. We admit that we too, that we all too often forget to turn to you in prayer. That in the deep sadness and sorrow, and even the great joy and highs of our life, we forget to turn to you in thanks and praise and express the great joy or sadness that we are feeling. Lord, please. Help us to be confident to speak to you in prayer, to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, please help us to see the great example of the Lord Jesus who cried out to you in the anguish he was about to face. And we thank you that that anguish was actually paying for our sin and giving us freedom and eternal life through faith in him. Lord, please. Help us, as our souls are cast down, to turn to hope in you as the God who saves. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.